I'm going to invite Matt to come and uh, talk to us now. Let's just pray for Matt as he comes up. Father God, thank you for Matt and thank, thank you for the preparation that he's put into this. We just ask you to bless him now as he speaks and bless the words that he speaks to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Rumble, rumble. <laughs> I think we're there. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning to you personally already. Good morning, yeah. Well, once a year we uh, celebrate CAP in this church because we're a church that partners with CAP. Uh, so I'm going to be speaking a bit more about that and share with you a couple of stories from uh, CAP nationally, uh, as well as, of course, look at the Bible and what uh, God has to say to us today uh, about the way that we are interacting, perhaps, with those who are amongst the poorest in society. But before I get to that, some breaking news for you. Just yesterday marked 11 weeks till Christmas. Oh. 11 weeks till Christmas Day. And thank goodness the children are not here. Which means that today, of course, it's now 76 days to go. Are you excited yet? Oh. <laughs> Amanda is. <laughs> One or two other groans. I'll wait till Christmas Day. <laughs> Anybody written Christmas cards yet? No, but I'm planning some. No, it's too early, isn't it? It's too early to be thinking about Christmas. I bet, though, if we were to wander around some of the supermarkets, some of those would not think it's too early. I haven't personally seen anything yet, but we kind of expect to see. You have some of them. Yes, in Tesco, wow. In Sainsbury's, wow. <laughs> and it won't be long before we see the adverts on TV, encouraging all of us to part with our hard-earned cash uh, for something that they think we really, really need <laughs> or deserve. Well, I do still get excited about Christmas, perhaps not as excited as Tesco would want me to be, uh, but I do still get excited about Christmas. Something many people find stressful, though, about Christmas and the whole sort of season is the whole business of gift giving. Now, Ruth and I are fortunate in that we come from quite similar family backgrounds, really, and we've got quite similar uh, gift giving expectations amongst our families. Um, we give reasonably priced, quite sort of moderate gifts, just one. We're, we're not sort of presenting each other with bagfuls of stuff at Christmas. Uh, and we're not one of those families that spends an extravagant amount at Christmas either. I used to work with somebody and he and his family, they would spend hundreds of pounds on each other at Christmas. And, you know, his, he would kind of expect his main gift to be around seven or eight hundred pounds. I always thought it was ridiculous. Uh, and they weren't a wealthy family or anything like that. Just they put great stock in how much they could spend on each other at Christmas. And, you know, they would feel the pressure before Christmas, of course, to make sure they got the right thing. I mean, imagine spending that much money and it being, oh, thanks. <laughs> what, what else have I got? <laughs> But then, of course, afterwards, when they had to pay the bills off too, they because, like I say, they weren't they weren't flush with cash. They couldn't necessarily afford to do this, but it would become part of their pattern. 
there's another sort of gift giving anxiety too and that's that feeling when someone gives you a gift but you haven't got something for them and perhaps you find it with christmas cards too i know that my mother and my mother-in-law both feel that about christmas cards like when one arrives through the post on say christmas eve ah they weren't on my christmas card list i didn't I haven't sent them one and now it's too late oh that's so annoying um but people can feel that real anxiety. Maybe you can relate to that, maybe about Christmas cards or presents or birthday presents even. If someone gives you a surprise birthday present and you didn't get one for them earlier in the year, it can make us feel a bit embarrassed or a bit awkward. You know, sometimes we're organized enough to have one or two reserve emergency presents ready for that <laughs> eventuality when people are coming over or something, but not always the case. But we, I think as humans, perhaps particularly in our Western world, have this desire to reciprocate, don't we? To be generous to those that are generous to us. We feel that, you know, we don't want to be outdone or feel that uneven in any way. Sometimes we do that even if we don't like the other people very much. We still have this desire to reciprocate. And it happens in other areas of life too. Perhaps those we invite round, for coffee or for dinner. But if we're always inviting back only the people who invited us, what does that mean for those who have fallen on hard times or who find themselves isolated from their friends or family? Well, like I said, today we're gonna celebrate and remember the work of Christians Against Poverty. That's what CAP stands for, Christians Against Poverty, which is of course a UK national charity that partners with churches like ours to equip and empower us, the people in the churches, to serve those who might otherwise be overlooked. Many of you will know that we've run um, the life skills course that CAP wrote and provide here at this church over the past few years. Um, we intend to do that again in the new year, that's uh, with Carol. But today I want to talk a bit more about Jesus's approach to generosity. We've talked about reciprocal generosity well what does Jesus have to say about that and we're going to read about his instructions on how to host a feast who we should be entertaining to set the scene a bit for you in Luke 14 we find Jesus dining at the house of an important Pharisee this important Pharisee this man has invited all his important friends they all know the pecking order they all know who else is likely to be there and they're jostling for the best places at the table. Now, what we need to know before we get into this reading is that the Pharisees' culture at the time was to invite the important people. It was all about who was gonna be seen at your house, at your table, even by your neighbors, people in the street, who are they gonna see coming to and from your house and know that you associate with? And critically, they were inviting people who could reciprocate and maybe help them on their social ladder. But Jesus, when he speaks about it, he tears that idea apart. He turns around and he embarrassingly tells the Pharisee in front of all his friends how he ought to have organized the party. And that's where we're gonna pick up the reading. Luke 14, it's gonna come up on the screen. So that's just that's just a hand. Have you, you just a clicker on? 
Okay, here we are. So Luke 14, verses 12 to 14, if you're following in your own Bible. Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now, when Jesus refers to dinner or luncheon, is a word we don't use very much here, he's talking about more than just a physical meal, really. It's code. It's code, if you like, for the, the kingdom of God, when you invite others into that relationship with him. He's making this point about the way that God's kingdom works, the way that God's love works. There's a human way of loving, which is reciprocal, and there's a God way of loving, which is relentlessly generous. And we see it a bit here in this passage. We know, don't we, that God's ways are higher than our ways. And here's an example of it. His way of loving is higher than ours as well. It's relentlessly generous. And this is the kind of love we see in Jesus, of course. It's the kind of love that he's talking about here and he demonstrates throughout his whole life and death. So if God is relentlessly generous in his love to us, how should we respond? Obviously, we can and we should love him back. But what are we compelled to do from Jesus' teachings? We're compelled to love others as well. It's to be generous in that love. So we're not just reciprocating, we're not just loving him back because he loves us, but we expand that. We love others as well. We join him in a life of generosity, especially towards those who find themselves struggling, those who find themselves isolated or overlooked. And that's what flows out of the heart of the gospel message. Now, I'm sure that to some extent or other, many of us have experienced challenges from the last 18 months. Challenges in one way or another. The hard truth is, though, that for many who are the poorest in society, many of those who are afflicted by poverty in particular, has meant that this kind of isolation hasn't been that different for them from how things were before the pandemic. A recent survey of those helped by CAP, so they helped sort of thousands of people across the country and they did this survey amongst them. And it found that before receiving the help that they did from CAP, 75% of them had experienced loneliness or social isolation, social isolation due to their circumstances, not due to the pandemic, not due to uh, having to stay at home or not being able to go out and socialise, like we can so easily take for granted that ability to go out, meet with others. That's literally thousands of people who felt isolated and lonely. One of the things I love about CAP is that it enables local churches like us to provide people like this 
with life-changing practical support, as well as an invitation into our church community. It's not just meant to be a little group that meets, you know, in a back room and then goes home and nobody knows who they are or where they came from. It's meant to be about including them in our church life, including them in our church family with that hope, of course, that they will meet Jesus. We're going to watch a short video now that explains exactly how that can look in practice. And this is a story from CAP that many churches across the country will be showing in their services this month. We're going to meet a man called Simon, a man who turned his life around with the support of CAP. I'm going to let you tell him, let him tell you his story. Thanks, Pete. Mum, now deceased wife, uh, used to look after the finances. Uh, she was the one that was good with the money, where I wasn't, and I'd built up quite a lot of severe debt, unmanageable debt. So I was living in fear of eviction. I'd been served with an eviction notice from my landlords. I didn't see a way forward, I didn't see a way out of it. Um, so I decided, or I just tried to end it all. It was actually my landlords who'd mentioned Christians Against Poverty. They fast-tracked me and my debt coach, Jim, arrived in my doorstep. Nobody had crossed the threshold. Um, I'd been living there, I think I'd been there nearly two years. So the biggest difference that Christians Against Poverty's process made for me was that it was house visits. By the July of 2016, I got that wonderful telephone call from headquarters at CAP, where they said, Mr. Moss, you are now debt free and played the harmonicas. And that's one of the greatest sounds I've ever heard. I then um, went on a cap event where I came to faith. This lady put her hands on, her sh on my shoulder and prayed for me. Just felt an overwhelming sense of calm and peace and love and warmth that I've never experienced before. And I just knew, I just knew that what it was and committed my life to Jesus there and then. On a Sunday, I can't wait to get up for service. I just love the church family that I've got. We're brothers and sisters in Christ, but we're, we're closer than blood. Um, and we support each other. We live our lives for each other. We're there for each other. And I praise God and thank God for that day that I now know he watched over me when I tried to end it all. And he said, no mate, you're not going yet. You've got lots to do.
I just felt such um, an overwhelming sense of wanting to give something back. It's turned my life around 180 degrees, um, completely structureless to you know, having a real purpose in life now. Both of my sons in conversation saw the difference that coming to faith had made to me. Daz came up first. He's in minor crime, so he'd been in and out of prison. Anyway, he came to the service, sat at the back, listened intently. We happened to be having that evening some baptisms in Newcastle, so he chose to come along and get baptised. And I've never felt so proud in all my life. It was the proudest moment. Sorry. Obviously it was a tragic situation for us, for the family, but the blessings for me personally is that he's found Jesus and he's taken, been taken to glory um, with his maker and he's sat up there and he's looking down on us and I'm sure he's proud of what his dad's doing. Life can still be uh, tough, but I know that I've always got my church family around me to support me and I know that I've always got Jesus as my best friend and as it says, my superhero. <laughs> Thanks, Pete. If we could go back to the slides, that'd be great. Um, it's a moving story, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Just five minutes long, and we've heard a whole life, really. And not just one, but two people coming to Christ because people at church decided they would reach out and try and help people however they could. What did he say in there? He said, for two years that no one but Simon and his landlord had crossed the threshold of his house. And it's not really right, is it, that someone should live in that kind of isolation? It's not right that while the rest of the world gets back to sort of post-pandemic normal life, that there are still many people in poverty, people like Simon, who will remain locked in that sort of prison of despair or loneliness. Well, Simon's is a heartrending story, isn't it, really? And, of course, if it resonates with any of us here or our own circumstances, then don't put off asking for help. Ask for help here, of course, but there's also the number, of course, for CAP up there if you want their help too. It's a free phone number, of course. For Simon, it was contacting CAP is the moment that his story began to change. Of course, his whole life changed the moment he met Jesus, but it started, that journey started with a phone call. As was mentioned in the video there, just to explain, when someone reaches out to CAP's 
to CAP for their help. What happens is, you know, they don't pay people's debts off for them. They're not just a check writing service. What happens is that, as you mentioned, a friendly team from a local church visit them at home, backed up by the expert debt advisors at CAP's office in Bradford. And together, they work out with people the best way to find a route out of debt for them. That could be repayment or work helping them figure out how they're going to repay or some sort of form of insolvency, negotiating with their creditors on their behalf and perhaps most helpfully, standing beside them for however long that takes to see them become debt-free. You mentioned harmonicas there. Uh, that could be a bit mysterious if you don't know what that's talking about. But what they do at CAP when someone goes debt-free, so the staff are all in this sort of big open plan office, all the debt advisors. And when someone tells someone the news of that on the phone, they say, now just listen to this. And they sort of hold out the phone and everyone in the office, well, one person will start, the person who's called it is, will play like a little plastic harmonica thing. It's just a, a noise. And everyone else will sort of put on hold whatever they're doing and join in because they want to celebrate that person and the change in their life. And, and they put a little name up on a, uh, like a little cut out of a person, like a paper chain man or woman, and they clip it onto a, a line. And there's thousands of these strings with names on across the office. And it's just amazing to see. Cap is 25 years old this year. Uh, they've been going for 25 years and seen thousands and thousands of people brought out of debt and thousands and thousands of people brought into relationship with Christ. Every year, in fact, over 2,000 people experience the joy of going debt-free with CAP. Hundreds more step into employment after having been equipped through CAP's job clubs or learn valuable skills on how to navigate life on a low income through things like the life skills group that we offer here. Everything CAP does is about giving the church a hands-on way to love people and connect with those that we perhaps might not usually connect with, that might not come into our social circles or otherwise walk through the doors of our church. For Simon, as he was filled with love and the generosity of Jesus through CAP, and the local church, we heard about how he saw his life turned around and how that generosity then started to flow out of him. He then seeks to serve others. And we heard about his involvement with the food bank and how he set up a choir in his church. That's that um, non-reciprocal kind of love that I started talking about earlier. It's not just repaying the one who loved us, but letting it flow over and help other people around us. He went from being isolated to being a source of community, a source of hope to his family and friends. We heard about the influence it had on his own sons. And it's all because he did what, we, what Jesus tells us to do there in Luke 14. And that's the power of generosity in action. Because one person and one church cared enough to reach out to Simon, and not just Simon, but through him, his whole family and many others besides have been impacted. So this morning, each of us can be encouraged because we often have no idea the impact 
or the significance of our generosity. Our generosity not just in sort of cash terms, but our generosity in time, in speaking with people, in making that phone call or visiting that person. CAP is about ordinary people like you and me in all kinds of churches, including like this one, making that choice. So I wonder what that might look for you, look like for you perhaps in the week ahead. Perhaps you know of someone like Simon that you could reach out to today even. Perhaps you've been inspired by Simon and the vision of CAP. Well, Christians Against Poverty is able to do what it does because there are more than 29,000 people who give them a regular financial gift. Cap call them life changers. Ruth and I aren't life changers, as are others of you here, I know. And they call them that because their generosity is quite literally changing people's lives. Without them, none of what we've heard about today would have been possible. So what Kat asks is that if there's anyone here who would like to be part of that who isn't already with a gift of just five pounds a month, there's a website up there that you can visit to do that. And like Nick mentioned, we're also going to take up an offering during the very last song this morning where 100% of what's given here today will go to Kat uh, to help them in their work. Five pound a month, they say, will help provide people like Simon with the community and practical help they need to rebuild their lives and the opportunity to discover the life-changing love of Jesus. What did, we, what did we read in Luke 14? When you give a banquet, Jesus said, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed. Of course, at the time, those people, those categories would have been among the outcast, the oppressed, those without hope. In many ways, they still are today. But we can also look at that in a spiritual sense and ask ourselves, how do we measure up? And I think when we do, we see that we're all included there in that list. Spiritually poor, spiritually lame, spiritually blind you know in our own strength alone that could be how we describe ourselves but those of us that know jesus christ as our friend and savior know that he changes that through christ we're invited to god's table When you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. They're powerful and challenging words. Of course, if you don't yet know Jesus as your personal friend and saviour, then you can today. It's that easy. So we're going to pray in a few moments. I'm going to pray a simple prayer that you can simply repeat in your heart after me. And then we're going to pray and say thank you to God before we sing our final hymn and take up that offering. Let's pray together. And first of all, that prayer that if you don't yet know Jesus as your personal friend and saviour, then just repeat it in your heart after me. Of course, if you're a Christian already, it doesn't hurt to recommit yourself. Dear Lord Jesus, 
I know that I'm a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I seek to turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Saviour. Amen. Amen. And Father, we pray and we thank you that we have all been invited to your table. And that you don't just invite us once or twice, but that you, that you persevere, you pursue us even. Thank you that through Jesus we are invited to be at your table forever. And so by your spirit alive within us, may each of us learn to follow the example and the instruction of Jesus. Help us to live generously towards those who can't repay us, just as you are generous towards us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 We're going to sing our closing song now, during which we'll take up uh, the offering. Thanks, everyone.